Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you for standing and worshiping with us today. I know oftentimes that seems to be quite a long time that we stand together to worship. And if you're not able to stand that long, that's okay. You can be seated, but we want you to worship. We want you to be a part of the service. And, and I'll tell you this, that I have, I have seen God move in many, many, many different ways. God has impressed upon me different things. He has spoken to me different things from time to time. But I have never been more ministered to by God and by His Word than when I am worshiping. Worship is the vehicle to your answers and to your blessing. Because the thing about worship and the thing about praise, there's two, they're different. A lot of times we say we're going to give God praise and we're going to worship Him. Praise is giving God thanks for what He has done. I praise you, God, for my home. I praise you for my job. I praise you for my family. I give praise. Worship is when you say, if I don't have a home, and if I don't have a job, if I don't have a, a family, I'm going to worship you. I don't care if I'm sick in my body. I'm going to worship you. I praise you for healing. I thank you for healing. But I'll worship you if, even if you won't heal me. I'll worship you even if you won't bless me. Oh, He blesses me, and, and, and I praise Him for that. But even in the times that I'm not being blessed, I'm still going to worship because I know my blessing is around the corner. That's why we worship. That's why we praise. That's why we come together and we magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together in this house. There is something about being together in His house. Is that, that, that just opens the door for us to be ministered to by His Word and, and, and by people around us that are there to edify us and to build us up and to encourage us. Can I get an amen from somebody today? Amen. That's nothing to do with what I'm preaching about today. So that's free for you. Amen. Thank you for being with us in the house of the Lord. Man, I'm fired up today. I'm fired up. I know I was a part of it, but thank you, praise team, for leading us into the presence of the King today. Take me to the King. And they took us to the King today. Amen, amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm so happy to see all of you here today. And of course, we welcome all of our guests that are with us, those that are watching online. We welcome you today and so thankful for everyone that is in this place and joining us online. Um, I want to talk to you today uh, on, uh, it's not necessarily a, a touchy subject, but it's a subject that we don't like to talk about a lot, especially men, um, our feelings, our emotions. We don't like to talk about that uh, because, well, for men, because we're men, we're manly men, and, and we don't like to get into all that. And, and I thought, well, you know, what, what if today, what if I got a couch and a chair up here today and I brought some of y'all up here and we talked about your emotions and what you're feeling today? I don't know if I'd have a volunteer. Some people would want to volunteer. This isn't your place, okay? <laughs> we, we, listen, this is a safe place. If you want to come talk about emotions and feelings, this is definitely a safe place to do it. But not right here in front of, of everybody right now. 
but I want to talk to you today about our emotions. We all deal with emotions. Uh, it's a part of life. God gave us emotions. Humans have emotions because we are people who are made in his image. Genesis 1 and 27 tells us that. We are made in his image. And so God has emotions. We have emotions. But sometimes we have to deal with our toxic emotions. You see, sometimes we don't know how to express our emotions. Especially through, I, I, let me say this. I want to tell you something. One of the greatest gifts that God gave us was the gift of technology. It is also one of the worst gifts that God has ever given us. It is the curse of technology. Because through technology, we have, we have forgotten or we have, our, our, our students, our children, are not learning how to communicate with one another. And we have forgotten how to communicate, especially through a time when we weren't able to be together. A lot of people, they prefer to text. They don't like to talk on the phone. If you text me, most likely, about 99% of the chance, you're going to get a text back because I'm one of those, I don't necessarily like to talk on the phone. But at the same time, there are times that a conversation needs to happen over the phone or in person and not through text. Because you don't know the emotion of the person through the text. Can I tell you, one of the biggest fights that my wife and I have, it shouldn't say fights, it should say disagreements, is when she texts me a laundry list, a book, a paragraph, an essay, and I reply with, okay. And she'll go, that's all you have to say? I go, what else is there to say? You said everything needs to be said. She can look at that as many different ways. She can look at that and say, is he just shrugging me off? Okay, 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 I got it. Or is he genuine? Okay, hey, I got you. I appreciate it. We don't know how to express our feelings enough that the designers and the creators of all of this technology, they even gave us these new things, well, they're not too new, called emojis. Do we have that here? We have all of these emojis to help us with our feelings and our emotions. Now, um, the one down in the bottom right is proud. I don't know if you guys can really see that or not. I did not know that that emoji meant proud. I meant that like, <laughs> that's what I thought it meant. We didn't have the one with the mask until a couple of years ago. I texted someone the other day. I said, hey, I heard you were sick. What are you sick with? And they sent that, and I knew immediately right away what it was. The one that has no lips in the middle all the way to the left, that's just quiet. The surprised up there on the right, yeah, that's cool, cool, cool. We got those embarrassed. What's funny is when someone sends you something, and you want to reply with the excited on the bottom right, but you accidentally reply with the nervous on the top in the middle, they're almost the same. It's just the eyes. I told someone the other day, I said, man, through all this COVID, these people that were dating, that was a 50-50 chance. Because the only thing that you saw from that person was their eyes. But the eyes can tell a story. I mean, when you had that mask on, and you were here, and somebody told you something, and you went, you knew, oh, they're surprised. 
or sarcastic, you're like, it's in the eyes. You can tell in the eyes different things. But we have these to help us communicate. I don't believe that God gave us these. I don't think that God gave us those. I don't think when God was creating the heavens and the earth in the first seven days, he said, and one day there shall come forth an emoji. Because my children thus thou not know to talk to one another. But God gave us emotions. We were made in his image. What does that mean? That means that God himself has and feels emotions. Did you know that God gets angry? God feels sadness. He, lo he loves and delights in his people. He also longs for his people to trust in him. How many of you, how many of you want someone to trust in you? For the most part, all of us. Some of you say, I don't want that responsibility. God wants us to trust in him. How many of you on your way to church this morning got in a little bit of road rage with somebody? You don't got to wave your hand. And you accidentally followed that person right into the parking lot. Abby, that was me that you were behind this morning. No, I'm just playing it. She was the only one that raised her hand. God gets angry too. The Lord feels emotions and he created mankind to have emotions as a reflection of his own being. And like our Lord and creator, we experience a wide array of emotions. Some of us have the emotional uh, 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 embodiment of the seasons of Michigan. At one moment, you can be the most pleasant person to be around. And 30 seconds later, you could be the person that everyone's trying to get away from. How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Don't raise your hand. We feel sadness. We feel grief. We experience pleasure from creative pursuits. We can also feel anger and indignation. And importantly, we can love because God loved us. Let me say that again. We can love... Because God loved us. When we say, and I'm sure, I know I have probably said it, I can't love that person. That's not Christ-like. God can love anybody. We should be able to, we don't always got to like them, but we should love them. Some of y'all are thinking about people in your family right now. If you're not thinking of anyone in your family, you're that person. No, I'm just playing, I'm playing. Someone, someone said one time, my family is full of, uh, of crazy people. And somebody said, I can't think of anyone in my family who's crazy. And he goes, well, that should tell you something. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. We should be able to feel and express our emotions. It's a part of being human, made in God's image. And although humans have their emotions, we were created for good. The disobedience of Adam and Eve caused the sin to enter into the world. Mankind's nature was and now continues to be affected by sin. And this is in a direct contrast of the Lord who experiences holy emotions, which are never sinful or selfish. He did say, be angry, but sin not. Sometimes we forget the not at the end of the sin. Be angry and sin. Flip the page. Not. 
You see, our heart is very deceitful. Our heart is wicked. It makes very unreliable, it makes us unreliable regarding our emotions and our will. Human emotions have been negatively affected by the fall of man, which is why feelings can sometimes be misleading, they can be sinful, they can be messy, and they can be toxic. I was in a grocery store a few weeks ago, and uh, I went to an area that I wasn't really familiar with. It was the vegetable section. And I um, didn't quite know what I was looking for, but I knew I was looking for something that didn't have mold on it. And so I began to search through whatever it was I was looking through. I really don't remember, um, to be honest, what it was. I probably didn't even buy it. Um, but I was looking through something, and I began to see uh, the deeper I went, the more brown and the more fuzz and the more mold and the more smelly that it began to, to happen. And this gentleman came over and, and that worked at this grocery store, and he started to, to pull the vegetables from this case, from the cabinet. And he just had a trash can there and began throwing them all away and I said hey some of those are good he goes they're not good and I said well why is that he goes because there's one on the bottom that is bad and I said how is that happening how is that he said because sometimes there gets one in there that doesn't get picked out and it sits too long and its own toxins from within itself begins to work its way on the outside. Now, I don't know if this guy was telling the truth or not, but it sounded really good, and I'm going to use it today. He said the toxins from the inside begin to work its way to the outside, and it begins to attach itself to the other produce. And before too long, if you don't take care of it, the entire produce section can be under quarantine. Boy, that sounds familiar, don't it? And if that grocer hadn't gotten to that, to that section in that store, he may have lost an entire produce. Produce that was stocked with beautiful, gorgeous bananas. I know that's fruit. I know I'm working on all my vegetables and my fruits. But beautiful tomatoes and beautiful uh, carrots and cucumbers and, and celery. I'm learning them all, okay? But it could have affected them all. He had to get to the start of it. He had to get to the, to, the, to, the, to the root of it. Yesterday, Gavin was over at my house, and we were ripping some bushes out. And, I mean, I tell you what, we were on a roll. We were boom, 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 boom. We were knocking these things out like crazy. He had his big old machine over there. But we got to one bush, and it just wouldn't budge. It wouldn't come out. We, he went from three different angles to get to it. We were working with a fence. And, and finally, we just we kept digging and digging and digging. And we finally found the root of the problem. It was a root. And I asked him, I said, man, that thing must be huge. He goes, you'd be surprised. It wasn't just one big root. We had some of those. But it was a strand of the smallest little I mean, Gavin, am I telling the truth? That thing was massive of small little roots. And what I have come to learn is, is it doesn't have to be one massive event in your life that gets this toxic emotion inside of you. It can be a lot of little things that begin to build up. And when God begins to move into your life and tries to restore you, He tries to get the things that, that are down deep inside but we're not wanting to let those things go. And so, unless we ourselves can get to the root of the issue, we're going to be filled with toxic emotions. 
And the most common toxic emotion that we have comes from our words. Less than 1% of our word inventory can ruin and affect all the rest of our words. You might watch 99% of the things that you say, but then 1% will cancel it all out. My wife and I have this thing that uh, over the last few years, and, and especially over the last few months, that we've been learning that, hey, if you're going to say something nice about somebody, don't throw the butt in there. You ever heard somebody talk about that or talk like that to you? Or, or maybe you've done it. Don't raise your hand. But you've said, you know, I really appreciate everything you've done. You're a great helper. You're a great leader. You're a great this, this. But um, it's just one thing I need you to work on. You see, what you have just done is you have canceled out everything that you have said all the way up to that point. Our words have the largest effect on our emotions and people's emotions. Most of us don't even realize the effects of what we say. The Bible says in Proverbs, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, our term today, toxic, is defined by the American Heritage Dictionary as a meaning of relating to or caused by a toxin or other poison. If there is anything that can hurt or harm us physically, psychologically, or emotionally, it is toxins that can get inside of us and destroy our health and ultimately our life. Why is that? Because toxins are poisonous. And in like manner, toxic words spoken to you can harm your life by destabilizing your peace of mind, by undermining your vision, and killing your joy because toxic words poison your life. But it's not just words that are spoken to you. It's words that you speak as well. Well, what is it, Pastor? Who does it? Why do they do it? Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what toxic talk is. Toxic talk are, are, are words that just, they sting. They hurt. Words that crush the spirit. Words that leave people feeling hurt and they feel hopeless. Okay, well that's the toxic. Well, who does it? Everybody does it. Whether we realize it or not, we all do it. Parents, husbands, wives, relatives, employers, friends, employees, Christians, adults, and even children. We were playing a game last night and we play this game at home called Mario Kart uh, Racing. And every time we play, I am the same character every single time. I pick the same car, I pick the same tires, and it has a little canopy that you fly with it. I pick the same thing every time. And, and Jackson, we were playing, and Jackson just walks through, and he goes, Hey, I just, I just understand why you're not so creative. I said, What? He goes, You have no creativity in your life, Dad. I said, Excuse me? What do you mean? I think I'm a pretty creative person. And my wife kind of like jumped on him. She goes, hey, that's not nice to say. I said, yeah, that's not nice to say. You're a 13-year-old. I'm thir What are you doing picking on your dad like that? But why don't I have any creativity? He goes, because you're old. I think that hurt more than him telling me I'm not creative. Even children can offend you. Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you thought I was going to tell you that today? 
Why do they do it? I don't know. Maybe it's out of ignorance. Maybe it's deliberately. Maybe they do it to hurt people. They never want to help somebody. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. Who gets hurt by it? Everybody. Children are hurt by the parents and what they say. Friends by each other. Husbands by their wives. Wives by their husbands. And sadly, Christians to Christians. Usually we don't mean to hurt people. The words just pop up without planning. We forget about them, but the people that they hurt don't forget. Have you ever heard the saying, forgive and forget? It, it's easy sometimes to forgive. We can move to that. But the forgetting, that's hard. You'll never forget what somebody said to you, what somebody did to you. The Bible calls us to forgive, not just for their sake, but for your sake. Let me say that again. God didn't call you to forgive just for them. God called you to forgive for you. Because the more bitterness that you hold inside towards that person, the more that that person is going to eat away at you, and they are moved on in their life. I was talking this morning with somebody, and we were talking a little bit about this. They weren't able to be here this morning, so I was kind of telling them what I was teaching today. And, and I thought about this. I thought about when David said in Psalms, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, if you remember a few months ago, we had a gentleman here preaching that he talked about what the table means. And I believe it has two meanings. I believe that it is a table that we all come to sit at. He preached that it is a table of a level that God puts you on the table above them. But when he says, when David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, many of us read that and we say, I don't want to sit at a table with my enemies. Let me tell you what David meant by that. David meant that God is going to put you at a table. And one by one, your enemies are going to come to that table. And they won't be sitting where you're sitting. You'll be sitting at the head of the table. When he said, vengeance is mine, he didn't say, vengeance is mine if you'll let it be. You handle it if you can. He said, vengeance is mine. So can I encourage you to, I could end this whole lesson right now and tell you, stop letting people eat away at you. Turn it to God and let God deal with it. Because there is going to come a day that you are sitting at the table. You are at the head of the table of your company. You're at the head of the table of your family. You're at the head of the table of your friends. You're at the head of the table. And your enemies are going to be encompassed about you. And you will be the one that they have to look at and see you succeed. And have to see you being blessed. I could call an altar call right now if you get that. But, but there's so many times that we cannot let things go. Toxic talk doesn't lead to health. It destroys. 
Toxic words are usually said in haste. They're said in anger. They're said in frustration. So what do we do today, Pastor? Well, our first task is to identify these words in our speech and to get rid of them. Proverbs also says in chapter 15, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up the anger. But what is this? I'm going to get real simple, okay? I'm going to get so simple that we're going to go to Sunday school teaching the little kids. What are some of these words, Pastor? What are these examples? Well, name-calling. Some words should be completely eliminated from our vocabulary. Should be locked up, thrown in the dungeon, and throw away the key. They're just name-calling that's not okay. Other words can be a little more subtle, but still hurtful. Name-calling focuses on the character of the individual rather than on the particular problem at hand. You could have someone in your life that they have only one time ever lied to you and they all of a sudden take on the name or the characteristic of you're a liar rather than, hey, you lied. You see, sometimes somebody can mess up one time and we label them for the rest of their lives. You know Thomas only one time ever doubted? Only one time. And he got stuck with the name Doubting Thomas for the rest of his life and the rest of all eternity. When I get to heaven, is his name tag going to say, Hello, my name is Doubting Thomas. Somebody can do one thing and we label them for the rest of their lives. The second thing are words that can wear on the soul. Some words are just ugly and negative. That's all I got to say about that one. The third one is words that take the heart out of people. I'll tell you, for me, if you ever want to just kick me while I'm down, tell me what a disappointment I am to you. When you tell somebody, you disappoint me. Rather than, I'm really disappointed by your actions. I've said this before. It took me 14 years to learn this in our marriage. But my wife has always told me, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. only took me 14 years to learn that, ladies and gentlemen. So for you newlyweds, get it quick. It's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Because when you tell somebody you disappoint me, you are denoting that they are a failure and you are rejecting them. Or there's another one. It's words that overstate the point. Our kids love this. I'm not talking just my kids. Your kids too. When they're upset, it's really easy to exaggerate. You never let me have the remote. Actually, that was my grandma one time. You're always late. You're just like your father. I mean, if you tell my kids that, it's a compliment. They'll love it. But anyway, but let me tell you, exaggerations, they leave no room for hope. Nobody is always late. Well, maybe some people are. Don't point to them if they're next to you. But nobody is just like anybody. 
I've told you this before. If you look at your thumb, you are thumbbody. You're an original. Nobody else has that thumbprint. There's also words that can rub salt into a wound. If you bring up the old business, the old mistakes, the old fights, the old differences, the old failures, the old sins. Listen, there's three different types of families. I, I truly believe this. And, and when I say these, you may go, well, I'm none of those three. Then there's four types of families. And you come tell me. But I know of three specific types of families. There are families that when they have disagreements and they have arguments, they fight it out, they get it over with, and they move on. There's families that they skirt around the issue for months, they finally have a conversation, and they act like it never, ever happened. Then there's a third family that they got a big old rug in the middle of their living room, and they take every issue and they just sweep it under the rug, and they sweep it under the rug, and they sweep it under the rug. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be some time one of the old boys in your family is going to walk across that rug, and they're going to trip on that rug, and when they do... All of those past hurts, all the failures, all the mistakes, all the cheating, all the lying, all the stealing. It's all going to come out. And guess what? You ain't going to have a rug big enough or a vacuum big enough to clean it all up. Those are words that can rub salt into a wound. Even jokes can hurt people sometimes. People are sensitive. Especially nowadays. People are sensitive. There's words that can communicate personal disgust. And there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. It's an emotion. God gave it to you. It's okay. There's words that communicate personal disgust. You know, I appreciate when people, I appreciate when people tell me, hey, you're looking really good. I see you're working hard and you're getting thinner and, and you're working out. I appreciate that. I went to my doctor the other day. And I love the dude. He, we've been, he's been my doctor for a long time. He helped me deliver all three of my kids. And that's right, I delivered all three of my kids. He, was, he showed up late, but he still sent me a bill for it. Anyway, I go in. He's known me for a long time. I haven't seen him in a year. I go in and he goes, dude, remember how huge you used to be? My wife is laughing because she knows it's true. That's him. And he's not doing it to like, you know hurt my feelings or like make me feel bad about how it used to be it's his way of just joking around breaking the ice like that's the first thing he says when he walks in the room he can't just say hey man you're looking really good i'm proud of you you're you're staying fit you're doing what you need to do no he comes in and goes dude remember how big you were last year that can hurt some people especially if they don't know you and you don't know them there are four common speech patterns that are described in proverbs I call them the four tongues. You see, we fight a battle every day. We fight the battle of the tongue and what we say. The first one is the controlled tongue. Proverbs 10 and 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words. The prudent hold their tongue. 11 and 12 says, Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense. But the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Verse 13 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. My kids were watching VeggieTales this morning. They were watching the rumor weed. And Jay said, Dad, what's a rumor? I said, a rumor? We'll just watch VeggieTales. They'll explain it. 
They can explain it to you a lot better than I can. He goes, well, if you explained it to me, what would you say? I said, Jace, you know that game that we play called Telephone? Every once in a while, you guys like to play that? Yeah, if you've never played that, that's where everybody's like in a big circle or whatever. You say one thing to the person next to you. By the time it gets to around, around back to you, you're lucky if it's even in the same ballpark of what the first person said. I said, a rumor starts out so small, and in VeggieTales, Alfred the butler for Larry Boy, he's teaching some kids one day. He goes, well, I've got to go home and recharge my batteries. Well, a couple of snot-nosed kids went home and said, Alfred's a robot. He's got to charge his batteries. And boom, 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 boom. Just like those roots that we had to dig out of my house the other day, the rumor weed got bigger and bigger and bigger. But a controlled tongue keeps a secret. Now, I've always said you get one tell only if you're married. Somebody tells you a secret, I don't know if it's a marriage thing like you're obligated to tell your spouse. That's between y'all. But if you're a confidential person or you want to be a confidant for someone and you want to be a wise person or a trustworthy person, the Bible says you'll keep a secret. 21 and 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. 15 and 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The controlled tongue. We need the controlled tongue. We need a gentle answer. We need to guard our mouths. We need to be a trustworthy person, and we need to be prudent. The second tongue is a caring tongue. And in 15 and 23, it says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? Let me give you the message version of this. When someone texts you or calls you, call them or text them back in a timely manner. That's a good thing. That's the message version for you. That's the caring tongue. I care enough about you to give you a reply. If I can't give you an answer right away, I'm going to still reply to you and say, hey, give me some time to pray about it. That's a caring tongue. There's also, the Bible talks about a conniving tongue. Proverbs 16 and 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip person separates close friends. 18 and 8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. 25 and 18, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against the neighbor. 26 and 20 through 28, this is a long one, but oh man, it's good. Pay attention to this. Without wood, a fire will go out. Without a gossip, a quarrel will die down. Oh man, let me shout on that one. Without a gossip, a quarrel will die down. If you didn't understand it, go to the first part of that verse. Without wood, a fire will go out. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is quarrelsome person to kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. That means they're telling you one thing, but they're believing another. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their heart. 
Their malice may be concealed by deception, but their wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. My goodness. I didn't mean to step on toes today, but these aren't my words. These are words out of Proverbs. That's from the conniving tongue. Then there is the careless tongue. 17 and 9, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. That means whoever wants to bring love into the relationship, you're not going to worry about the offense. You're going to move forward. But whoever repeats the matter will separate close friends. If you've got issues that have already been settled, stop bringing them up. Because what's going to happen is you're going to begin to separate those close friends, those close relationships. 18 and 21, the tongue has the power. Are you ready for this? Let me tell you what you've got in your body. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. 20 and 19, a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Some of y'all got some kids that you say, man, I need to avoid them. That's not what it's saying here. It's talking about someone that can't hold water. Someone that, that you tell something to and the next thing you know, it's all over their Facebook. Somebody else is calling you. I, t- I told someone the other day, I, they said, what kind of town do you live in? I said, it's such a small town. I said, I was, I was at the grocery store. I got some toilet paper. I got home and somebody else texted me and said, hey, what are you doing buying Scott Tissue toilet paper? Or what are you doing buying this? I said, how do you know I just bought this? They said, oh, I ran into so-and-so right after you did and they told me that you were buying that toilet paper. You know that's not good for your septic tank. So are y'all gossiping about me or are you trying to help me? What's going on here? Well, how did Jesus deal with all this, Pastor? Well, if you're looking for toxic people in the Bible, your eyes can land on several different people. You got Herod, you got Pilate, you got some religious leaders, but there's something about this disciple that Jesus was with a lot. And I believe was one of the most toxic people that Jesus was around. And if there's anybody that we can take an example from on how to deal with toxic people, it's Jesus. Huh. Funny that, huh? Judas was a toxic person. But Pastor Judas was a disciple. Jesus chose him as one of the twelve. He was a friend. He was a companion over three years of Jesus' ministries. He was almost as close as you could get. That is true. But Judas was stealing from the purse for three years. The purse? Judas was stealing from the offerings that were being given to Jesus and his disciples to help feed the poor, to feed the hungry, to help him make his way on his journey. Judas had been lying. He had been deceitful. And finally, when it all came down to it, he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver for the cost of a slave. Judas was a betrayer. His name means betrayer. Do you, anybody in this room ever think about naming your kid Judas? Some of you maybe as they get a teenager, but when they were born, 
We, I don't know anybody named Judas. Why is that? That's because Judas has become... It's like doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas. Judas, yeah, he deserved it. Judas is betrayer. Judas is toxic. Who are the toxic people in your life? The people who seem to change the very atmosphere of the room when they walk in. Maybe they are like Judas. Maybe they're liars. Maybe they're thieves. Maybe they're betrayers of trust. Maybe they are people that you have to rely on, but they continually let you down. Maybe you share the toxicity that they have. You have a great need to please, and they are impossible to please. Maybe they're hateful people who pour their hate out on you and whoever is around. Maybe they are the one who should show you love, but they show hate. Maybe they have bent, twisted, negative view of the world and they share that twisted, bent, negative view with anybody who will listen. Maybe they have the power that they use to grind you down. If you were to Google right now toxic people, you'll get a bunch of articles about how to avoid toxic people, how to get them out of your life, how to, how to find and get revenge for these people. But to be honest, most toxic people are the people who you are around every day. Pastor, what do you mean by that? I'm saying that sometimes the toxicity in our lives is coming from someone around us and we don't even realize it. Now, don't anybody look at your spouse right now and go, you're toxic. That's not, the, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about how Judas was with Jesus every day. He was a disciple. Many of the toxic emotions that you deal with is from frustrated people that pour into you or they pour from themselves into you and you unknowingly try to help them but you're taking on that toxic spell from them and, and if you don't purge your system remember a couple weeks ago I talked about we need a soul detox this is why because there are people in our lives some of you know already know who they are I don't remember who it was but when, when I saw on Facebook this morning somebody said is it wrong if I tag people that need to hear this lesson today some of you are already thinking about people right now, who that is in your life. How did Jesus deal with Judas? I think that Jesus knew for those three years that Judas was toxic. I think Jesus knew it. I don't think that Jesus just walked around and one day went, oh, Judas, it was you? I don't think, I think that, that Jesus knew. How did he deal with it? Jesus dealt with toxins by prayer and fasting. Pastor, pastor. That's the answer to everything, prayer and fasting. It is, but let's get specific. Prayer is a purging system. Worship is a purging system. Fasting is a purging system system. We often try to pacify toxic people. We try to dance around them. We try to avoid them. But Romans tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to turn people's conversations around to the good. Point out the positive things. I, I've, I've done some studying on toxins and I've learned enough that, that toxins are abrasive. Anything that is abrasive gradually wears something away. They are corrosive. Anything corrosive will eat and melt something away like it's acid. 
And so what are we supposed to do, Pastor? Are we supposed to just be like Jesus and, and just love and serve and stay quiet? Jesus serves and he loves Judas, but it's a quiet confrontation of his toxicity. With Judas, he quietly pointed out what he needed to do. There were times that Jesus confronted, and it wasn't so quiet when he flipped over the table. The Pharisees, he confronted openly. But living as a toxic person is a terrible way to live. Sooner or later, those poisons will make its way into you. And one way that we can live selflessly and we can love selflessly and serve them is to confront them with their behavior. Now, I don't mean to go up to them and just knock their lights out and say, stop being toxic. I know we want to do that to people. Wives, I know you want to do that to your husbands so, so often. But there's a way to handle people. There's two things. The first is to restore. The goal is restoration. This is hard. It's very hard because by the time we get to the point of confrontation, we're so frustrated with them for their behavior and we're frustrated with ourselves for not dealing with it earlier or we're fearful and we just don't want to tear into them and let them have it. But the goal is to restore, not just them though, but to restore ourselves. Remember the forgiveness I talked about? It's not just for them, it's for you too. The goal is to restore with ourselves, with God, and with others that are hurting. And then here's the second thing. It's to restore them gently. It's easy to let our passions get a hold of us in these situations. But the idea is that we are to lead people to the right and not beat them into submission. Let me say that, let me say that again. The goal is to lead people to Christ, not beat them into submission. We each need to test our own actions. Then we can take pride in ourselves without comparing ourselves to anyone else. We need to carry our own load. We need to speak truth in love. I'm going to close with this passage today from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, starting with verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. But to each one of us, get this one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. When we move down to verse 11, it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of service. Not to save them. My job is not to save you. Only God can save you. But my job is to equip the people 
for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. When? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Then at which point we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we should speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Speaking in truth, speaking the truth in love is not just something to say before you speak your anger and hurt. Just because you tell somebody, hey, I love you, but I need to tell you this. My dad used to tell me, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I just said, you're a liar. I'm pretty sure I'm the one that's about to feel this pain right now. And when you confront somebody and you say, what I'm about to tell you is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, but I love you, so I'm going to tell you how it is. It's not speaking in love, ladies and gentlemen. What you're about to say are real words that can either destroy somebody or they can edify them. The ability in faith is to express love while calling the person to the right. Jesus' call to purity and His attractiveness to sinners. It was done in love. You look at the woman that was caught in adultery. He told her, he said, go and sin no more. The woman at the well, the, he, he, when he caught Peter's eye after the denial, when he was before Pilate. How do we do this with the toxic people in our lives? Or even just regular folks who might have toxic behaviors. I'm going to give you six things here. And we're going to come to this altar and we're going to pray together. First thing you need to do is you need to love them from your heart. You need to ask God to give you this love. Do acts of love and service for them without expecting a positive response. If you do something for somebody expecting something in return, you're not doing it out of love. You're doing it because you're wanting payment. But we should do things out of love, which even means doing something when there's not going to be an ex a positive response. We need to pray prayers of blessing over them rather than prayers of change. The second thing we need to do is ask God if we are the one to confront them. What is His timing? What are His words? There's so many times that we pray, Your will and Your way, God. Have Your will and have Your way. But we get caught up with what our will and what our way is, and we eventually convince ourselves that our will and way is His will and way. But it's not always His timing. We need to do it in God's timing. We shouldn't put it off. The third thing is, is we should do it soon. But pastor, you said do it in his timing. Yes, pray about it. Don't put off praying about it. Pray about it. And God will direct you. Or God will direct someone to you. 
Speak before things come to a head. It might help you with your frustration. You know, if you go to McDonald's and you order a cheeseburger and you didn't want lettuce on it, but you didn't order it without lettuce and they give you a cheeseburger and it has lettuce, it's not your right to get upset with them and go, why did you put lettuce on my cheeseburger? Because you didn't say not to. Sometimes there is people that has hurt you in your life that they don't even know that they've hurt you. It's true. And so you need to come to that person. But you shouldn't do it publicly. This is my fourth thing. You should do it privately. This is so you don't shame your friendship. What you do should not be done in public. It should be done privately. And if you go to that person to make it right and that person won't listen to you, the Bible says then go get an elder. Go get a leader. And go together. And if that person still won't hear you out, then you are to wash your hands and you are to move on. It's not what I'm telling you. It's what the Bible's telling you. The fifth thing that you should do is express as much hope and care as you can in ways that they can receive. If you just come to somebody and you say, hey, I'm sorry. Or hey, I got an issue with you. You need to do this right. They're not going to receive it. There should be love in those words. There should be care in those words. And the final thing that you should do is pray. Pastor, we started with prayer and we should end with prayer. Because only God can get to that person. And once God gets to that person, it's up to them to make that choice to let go of those roots. It's up to you to let go. If you're living in sin and you have prayed for God to deliver you from a sin, He is trying to deliver you. You just won't let go. You have to release that sin. You have to release the addiction. You have to release the hurt. You have to release the pain. God just stands at the door and knocks. And He says, if anyone will hear my voice and open, I will come in and I will sup with him. God is knocking at the door of your heart today saying, I am ready to take the hurt from you. I'm ready to take the pain from you. I'm ready to take the emotions from you that you can't deal with anymore, that you can't handle anymore. I'm ready to help you. But we have to open the door because there will come a day that God will move from one door to the next and we'll lose our way and we won't know how to come back. We won't know how to find our way. And we just pray for mercy and we pray for God to find his way back to us and he will find his way back to us. But I pray that we do it before it's too late. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a day and time where our rights are being taken away left and right. Our freedoms are being taken away. And very soon we are going to be joining the brothers and sisters that are in China, that are in the underground church. They're right now, the last count that I've seen, there are over two and a half million people a part of the underground church in China right now. And the way that we are headed, I pray to God that He comes back before we get there. But we are headed to where there is coming a time where we are going to have to worship in secret because the church, the church will always last, but people are coming for the church. And so I pray today that before it's too late, that you make up in your mind that I've got to get this right today. I've got to get my heart right. I've got to get my life right. You're already here. That's a big step. 
You've already made your way through the door. That's a great step. The next step is coming to this altar, lifting up your hands and saying, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Father, remove this bitterness from me. Remove this hurt from me. I release it to you today. And you allow God to begin to work inside of your heart and to work inside of your mind. And I promise you, you will see a change in you like you have never known before. It's a change in you that only God can do. Alcohol can't do it. Drugs can't do it. Pornography can't do it. Friendships can't do it. Only a relationship with God can make you feel whole again. If you're looking for that relationship today, whether you've been a part of the church all your life or today is your first day, I invite you to come to this altar today. And I invite you to come meet a God that loves you and that cares for you and that is ready to pour Himself out for you if you will open the door for Him today.